What is going on, sports fans, and welcome into Season 4, Episode 16 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. We've got a lot to get to on this week's episode. Obviously, the big news out of the NFL, Deshaun Watson will be gone for the first 11 games of the 2022 NFL season. What it means for the Browns and much, much more on that story and some other headlines across the National Football League. We also got some Major League Baseball to talk about. The Cleveland Guardians are in sole possession of first place, but they are in a tight pennant race with the Minnesota Twins and the Chicago White Sox. I will talk about the Guardians' play as of late, including their epic comeback the other night against the Detroit Tigers, preview this weekend series against the Chicago White Sox, and tell you which team out of the White Sox, Guardians, and Twins I think has the edge in the AL Central title race. We also got some other headlines around Major League Baseball. Fernando Tatis suspended. Who do I like in the Mets and Braves division race? Much, much more. And also some NBA. LeBron James is here to stay in Los Angeles after signing an extension. And the NBA schedule was released, so some takeaways there as well. So an absolutely loaded show in every one of the three big major sports. And we're going to get to all that and more in this show. But first... As always, this episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast, creation tools, editing tools, everything you need to make your very own podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you want to make your very own podcast, here's what you need to do. You need to go online, type in anchor.fm or go to the App Store, Microsoft Store, Google Play Store and just download the free Anchor app. It's easy. You get started. You can record your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor, Anchor, Anchor. Today is Friday August 19th. Let's go. Everybody and welcome in to this week's episode, season four, episode 16 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Today's Friday. I hope everybody has a great Friday, a great weekend lined up. College football starting in two weeks, the NFL starting in three weeks. So football is coming, baseball is in the exciting stretch of the season where some teams are in tight playoff races. And the NBA is getting ready to ramp up in October, and we know the NBA schedule. So a lot of exciting sports are on the way, but we got to start with the big news out of the NFL. The biggest story in sports, I would say, in the NFL offseason, and it's been one of the biggest stories on this podcast, too, and it is Deshaun Watson, the Cleveland Browns quarterback. It was announced yesterday 
he will be suspended for the first 11 games of the 2022 NFL season, as well as pay a $5 million fine and undergo counseling and treatment to um, try and grow his character, grow as a person, try and rehabilitate him, basically is what the NFL came out and said. So we're going to go through a timeline of starting from last Friday. So after we recorded last Thursday, I want to go through the timeline of what happened that led to yesterday's news breaking. So start last Friday, the Browns play the Jaguars in the preseason at Jacksonville in Jacksonville. Uh, Kevin Stefanski announces on Thursday that Deshaun Watson will be the starting quarterback for the Browns in game one of the preseason on the road at Jacksonville. So that's the first domino that happened. Kevin Stefanski announces Deshaun Watson is going to start for the Cleveland Browns against the Jaguars. Then there was some speculation among some national NFL reporters like Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk, like other reporters of that stature, saying they think after Roger Goodell's comments in which he called Deshaun Watson's uh, behavior predatory and egregious and said he really wanted the 17-game suspension, they believe that uh, Peter C. Harvey, who was appointed by Roger Goodell to hear this new NFL appeal of Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension, they believe that Harvey was going to come down with an indefinite suspension just before kickoff so Deshaun Watson would not get on the field against Jacksonville. And then that did not happen. Deshaun plays against Jacksonville. He gets booed mercilessly. He goes one for five for seven yards. Didn't play great. Looked pretty rusty. Anthony Schwartz dropped a couple of first down passes. Um, and Deshaun Watson plays on Friday night. So Watson plays. And then after he played, after the NFL let him go out there and play during a preseason game, those same reporters who were speculating that Peter C. Harvey would not let Deshaun Watson on the field. The NFL would not let Deshaun Watson on the field at all. They started speculating that a settlement between Deshaun Watson and the NFL might be coming into fruition soon because they let him play. And another big reason why they thought a settlement is a possibility was because for the first time before that Jacksonville game, Deshaun Watson showed remorse and apologized to the women and he did an interview with Aditi Kingabawala of Channel 5. And it aired before the Browns preseason game. And here's what that interview sounded like with Aditi. This was a big reason why some reporters started shifting the narrative where it was going to be an indefinite suspension, where it could potentially be a settlement between the NFL and the NFL Players Association. So here's that interview from last Friday. Well, we're having some technical difficulties. Of course we are. But I will try and get that interview for you guys here in a minute. All right. It looks like we should be good now. So here's Deshaun Watson speaking before last Friday's game against the Jaguars. Okay, Deshaun, as you get ready to get on the bus, let's just start with this one. It's been 19 months since you played a game of competitive football. How are you feeling about that? I'm super excited. I'm excited to get out there with my new teammates and go out there and compete. Um... Each and every snap, I want to make sure I cherish that because I'm not sure when the next time I'll be able to get out there with those guys. So um, I'm, I'm super excited. As you say that, your eligibility is still in question. And although this appeal is ongoing, 
I have to ask you, the initial ruling from Judge Sue Robinson made a very specific point of saying that your lack of remorse played into her decision-making. It's been a part of the narrative surrounding you. What is your response to that? Look, I want to say that I'm truly sorry to all the women that I've impacted in this situation. Um, my des decisions that I made in my life that put me in this position, um, you know, I, w I would definitely like to have back. But I want to continue to move forward and grow and learn and, and show that, you know, I am a, a true person of, of character and I want to keep pushing forward. Grow and learn. We fully expect that there will be some time that you are away from the team. What does your growth on a personal level look like? How are you spending that time? Uh, I know I have a lot of work to put in, uh, especially on the field, to be able to make sure I'm ready to play uh, whenever that time comes, whenever I can step back on the field. But also, the biggest thing is I want to continue counseling, and I want to make sure that I'm growing as a person, as an individual, uh, for my decision-making on and off the field, and I want to make sure that you know I'm just evolving in the community as much as possible. And that's for the Cleveland community, that's the NFL community, and beyond. We appreciate the time, Deshaun. Thank you. So that was Deshaun Watson speaking with Aditi Kinga Bawala, who is a reporter for the Browns, a reporter for Channel 5, does some of the their on-field pregame stuff for the preseason. And you heard what Deshaun said. He said, I'm sorry to all the women I've impacted. Um, the situation, uh, the, the decisions I made in my life that have put me in this situation, I wish I could have back. And he showed that he wanted to continue to grow as a person, continue to show that he is a person of high character and stuff like that. And that was the first kind of stepping stone that kind of made people think, okay, maybe Watson and the NFL are talking about a settlement. Maybe it won't be a full year. Maybe it won't be an indefinite suspension. Now, I told you guys last week, I never thought it would be an indefinite suspension. I thought it would be 10 to 12 games with a heavy fine. And I thought that would be the ruling by Peter C. Harvey or that would be the settlement that the two sides agreed to. So we get that new, we get that uh, report on Friday with Deshaun Watson speaking before the Browns game. He plays in the Browns game on Friday, the preseason game. And then there's just speculation, speculation, speculation that the NFL and Deshaun Watson are settling. Then Mary Kay Cabot reports on Wednesday that they are in actively engaged in settlement talks and that a settlement is looking very, very likely. Then on Thursday, excuse me, on Wednesday, so Mary Kay Cabot reported on Tuesday that the settlement talks were active. Then on Wednesday, ESPN's Dan Graziano said that there will be Deshaun Watson news that his um, the discipline news will come out either today or tomorrow. So he said Wednesday or Thursday, the news will come out. Didn't come out Wednesday. Then a number of different national NFL reporters reported that there would be news on Thursday. The Browns pushed back their media availability yesterday, and everybody was just waiting for this news to drop. And by 11.36 a.m., the news was out there. But it was from an unlikely source. Um, Joseph... Pastorus at Pastorus Sports on Twitter was the, actually the first Twitter account to break this news, and he only had 12 Twitter followers. He tweeted, breaking, hashtag Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson is being suspended for 11 games and fined $5 million and being required to attend counseling per the NFL communications. And he, he screenshotted the NFL communications website ruling on the matter. 
And the reason why he got it so early and he was able to scoop the Adam Schefters, the Ian Rappaports, the Mike Florios, the, the Mary Kay Cabots of the world is because the NFL communications website actually put it on their website yesterday at 1130 before they announced the news. So it was out there at 11.30 a.m., and this guy with 12 Twitter followers, kudos to him for breaking it, was the first guy to uh, post the ruling. So then the news was out there, and then it was official. Deshaun Watson will be suspended 11 games and have a $5 million ruling. And I'll go ahead and read you guys the ruling in case you're curious. Here's what it says on the NFL Communications website. Uh, the headline is disciplinary measures announced for Deshaun Watson following NFL and NFL Players Association agreement. And then it's got like two mini headlines. The first mini headline is Browns quarterback suspended for first 11 regular season games must commit to mandatory evaluation and treatment fined $5 million. Then it says the fine will be combined with additional donations from the NFL and the Browns, resulting in $7 million to support the prevention of sexual misconduct and assault. So the $5 million fine is going toward um, the prevention of sexual misconduct and assault, as well as separate million-dollar donations from the Browns and the NFL. And then here is what the ruling read. Deshaun Watson of the Cleveland Browns is suspended without pay for the first 11 games of the 2022 regular season and fined $5 million for violations of the NFL's personal conduct policy. It was announced today. In addition, Watson will promptly undergo professional evaluation by behavioral experts and will follow their treatment program. The announcement comes after an agreement reached by the NFL and the NFL Players Association and concludes this disciplinary process. Watson's fine and contributions from the NFL and the Browns of $1 million each will create a fund of $7 million. This fund will support the work of nonprofit organizations across the country that educate young people on healthy relationships, promote education and prevention of sexual misconduct and assault, support survivors and related cases. Quote, Deshaun is committed to doing the hard work on himself that is necessary for his return to the NFL, Commissioner Roger Goodell stated. This settlement requires compliance with the professional evaluation and the treatment plan, a significant fine, and a more substantial suspension. We are grateful to Judge Sue Robinson and Pete Harvey, Peter Harvey for their efforts in addressing these matters, which laid the foundation for reaching this conclusion, end quote. On August 1st, Judge Sue L. Robinson, the independent disciplinary officer, jointly appointed by the NFL and NFL Players Association, found that Watson violated the NFL's personal conduct policy on multiple occasions. She suspended him for six games. The CBA affords the NFL or NFL Players Association the right to appeal the discipline imposed by the disciplinary officer. Today's announcement concludes the process and there will be no designee ruling or additional legal steps. Watson's suspension will take effect at the final roster cutdown and he will be eligible for reinstatement by the National Football League on November 28th. So what that means, it's a lot of word vomit, I know. But what that means is he is suspended for the first 11 games of the season, $5 million fine, has to undergo treatment. So that came out, he has to undergo treatment. Then the Browns and the Browns and Deshaun Watson released statements yesterday before they were available to the media via a press conference. And here's what those statements, the, those statements read. We'll give you the we'll give you Jimmy and D Haslam, the owners of the Browns, first. So they they said after this news was announced that the settlement in the between the NFL and NFL Players Association was announced. Here's what G and Jimmy 
G and Demi. D and Jimmy Haslam said. They said, quote, as we previously conveyed, Deshaun and his representatives have abided by the NFL and NFLPA structure, awaiting a final decision, and we have respected this process. Now that a decision on discipline has been reached, we understand this is a real opportunity to create meaningful change, and we are committed to investing in programs in Northeast Ohio that will educate our youth regarding awareness, understanding, and most importantly, prevention of sexual misconduct and the many underlying cases of such behavior. Since Deshaun has entered our building, he has been an outstanding member of our organization and shown a true dedication to working on himself both on and off the field. We will continue to support him as he focuses on earning the trust of our community. So that was Browns owners D and Jimmy Haslam speaking on the matter. Here's the statement that the Browns released on behalf of Deshaun. Watson writes or states, I'm not sure, he says, I'm grateful that the disciplinary process has ended and extremely appreciative of the tremendous support I've received throughout my short time at the Browns organization. I apologize once again for any pain this situation has caused. I take accountability for the decisions I made. My focus going forward is on working to become the best version of myself on and off the field and supporting my teammates however possible while I'm away from the team. I'm excited about the, what, what the future holds for me in Cleveland. So those were the statements, and then we got the press conference. And there were some eye-raising, eyebrow-raising comments made by both Deshaun Watson and Browns owner Jimmy Haslam in this press conference. First from Deshaun Watson. Here is the clip from Deshaun Watson, a 24-second clip where Deshaun Watson maintains his innocence despite being suspended 11 games by the NFL and agreeing to a settlement. Here's what he said. So Deshaun says he stands on his innocence and um that he never sexually assaulted or disrespected anyone. Later in the press conference, Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland.com asked Deshaun Watson, someday are you going to tell your side of what happened? And he said, that's the plan eventually. And throughout the press conference, Deshaun Watson kept saying he wants to grow as a person on and off the field. He wants to continue to learn and get better and do the things necessary to move forward with his career. And you could tell that Deshaun Watson just wanted to put this in the rearview mirror. He wanted to move forward with his career, like he said. And I think his answers reflected that. And he said he stands on his innocence throughout this process, even though he did apologize to Aditi Kinkabawala last week. The thing he has been apologizing for is for triggering women, for triggering people, for the pain he's caused people throughout this this situation. It, it was just a really bizarre thing to say in that press conference after settling with the NFL and the NFL Players Association. Th that's just my opinion on that answer there. And then Jimmy Haslam stepped up to the podium a short time after, and he had this to say about giving Deshaun Watson a second chance. You know, I, here's what I think is that um, I think in this country and hopefully in the world, People deserve second chances, okay? I really think that. And I, I, I struggle a little bit. Is, is he never supposed to play again? Is he never supposed to be part of society? Does he get no chance to rehabilitate himself? And that's what we're going to do, okay? And you can say, well, that's because he's a star quarterback. Well, of course. But if he was Joe Smith, he wouldn't be 
in, in the, on the headlines every day. So we think people deserve a second chance. We gave Kareem Hunt a second chance, okay? And that's worked out pretty well, okay? We're hoping this will work out, and we have strong belief it will. That doesn't mean we don't have empathy for people affected, and we will continue to do so. But we strongly believe, strongly believe people deserve a second chance. We believe Deshaun Watson deserves a second chance. So Jimmy Haslam said, you know, we believe Deshaun deserves a second chance. We gave Kareem Hunt a second chance. That worked out pretty well. So <laughs> that's just where the Browns are on this. They they think Deshaun deserves a second chance. Deshaun is ready to put this behind him. The Browns are ready to put this behind him. The NFL was ready to put this behind him. And I think a lot of Browns fans are and NFL fans are ready to put this behind him. And they are just really, really glad that this whole disciplinary process the suspension watch, Deshaun watch, is over. He's going to be gone the first 11 games of the season, and that, and he will be eligible to return week 13 against his former team, the Houston Texans. Some other takeaways from the, the press conference, um, Watson maintained his innocence. He apologizes to anyone who might have been triggered, like I said. Um, he would not talk about his return to Houston that's down the road. He said he's focused on practicing today. Um and he will not play in the final two preseason games. From the uh, from Andrew Berry and the uh, Jimmy Haslam and D Haslam's press conference, um, they described this as a sensitive and emotional topic. Uh, Jimmy Haslam says they are absolutely comfortable with Watson on the team. Andrew Berry said that he would make the trade for Deshaun Watson again. Uh, Berry also said that they feel very good and confident about Jacoby Brissett as their quarterback. And um, D, D. Haslam believes there is an uh, opportunity ahead to educate individuals on bigger issues. Stefanski said Watson will not play in the final two preseason games, that Watson can practice until August 30th, and uh, that uh, Watson is committed to growing as a person. So those are my take, some of the takeaways from the press conference. Here is when Deshaun Watson suspension starts. So here's the timeline of that. And then we will get into what it means for the Browns on the football field. So... Uh, it starts on the NFL cut down day when the NFL rosters have to be cut down to a certain number. And that is August 30th at 4 p.m. So by August 30th at 4 p.m., Deshaun Watson must vacate uh, the Browns campus in Berea to begin the suspension. And he will be prohibited from returning until midway through his, his suspension. So that will be following week five, October 10th. Following week five of the seasons, the day after the Browns play the Chargers at First Energy Stadium on October 9th, Watson can return to Berea for limited team activities, meetings, and lifting to get reacclimated. The rule is that he can return halfway through his suspension, so that's after five games. Then on November 14th, Watson may begin practicing with the Browns for the last two weeks of his suspension, which is the day after the Browns play at Miami. November 28th, Watson becomes eligible to play in games and can participate fully in all team activities. And December 4th, Watson is eligible to play against his former team in Houston, the Houston Texans. It will mark 700 days since his previous game, his last previous game on January 3rd, 2021. So how about that for a return game? And say what you want about the NFL, but the fact that his return game against is against his former team, the Houston Texans, it's going to get all kinds of ratings. It's going to be one big story. Doesn't that raise some eyebrows? Do you really think they appealed because they care about the women? Do you really think they settled because they care about the women? 
Or did they just settle because they wanted the uh, the ratings for the return game? Think about it. Watson's return game this season is against the Texans. Russell Wilson's first game this season is against the Seahawks. Baker Mayfield's first game this season is against the Browns. The NFL is all about money and all about ratings. We've known this throughout the jump. And his return game being against the Texans just proves that. It's just, it's just ironic to me. So... On the field, how does this affect the Browns? So Watson's gone the first 11 games. Um, It was going to be the first six. Now it's the first 11. I think it makes the Browns' path to the playoffs very, very, very difficult. More difficult than it would have been if it would only been six games. Mostly because of how the schedule shakes out. So here's the schedule Uh, And the games that Deshaun Watson will not be eligible for. And as of right now, Jacoby Brissett would be the Browns starter for. It would be September 11th at the Panthers. Week 1 versus Baker Mayfield. September 18th, home opener versus the Jets. September 22nd versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. October 2nd at Atlanta versus the Falcons. October 9th versus the Chargers. October 16th versus the Patriots. October 23rd at the Ravens, October 31st versus the Bengals, November 13th at the Dolphins, November 20th at the Bills, and November 27th versus the Buccaneers. So for the Browns' first 11 games, which Deshaun Watson will not be eligible for, there uh, four of them are against 2021 playoff teams, and seven of them are home games. After it all shakes out, four of Watson's six eligible games of the 2022 season will take place on the road. So for the first 11 games, the Browns have seven of them at home. Four of them are against playoff teams from last year in the Bengals, Bills, Buccaneers, and and Steelers. But they also got some tough... Wait. There are five of the first 11 games are against 2021 playoff teams. This article is wrong. Because the Steelers made the playoffs as well. So the Patriots, Bengals, Bills, Patriots, Bengals, Bills, Buccaneers, and Steelers are the five playoff teams. But you also got a tough matchup against the Chargers and the Ravens as well. And that Dolphins game at Miami is not, no cakewalk either. So the first 11 games, what are my expectations for the Browns with Jacoby Brissett on the field? I think if you're Kevin Stefanski... If you're this roster, this Browns talented roster with a really good defense, a top 10 player in the NFL in Miles Garrett, you got a top three running back in Nick Chubb, you've got a, an all-world corner in Denzel Ward, an all-world offensive line led by Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio, you got great talent on the defense along, alongside Miles Garrett and Den, Denzel Ward, like Jadavian Clowney, like J- Jeremiah Wusokoromoa, like Greg Newsom, like... Those guys. And then on the offense, you got Amari Cooper as a top 15 receiver. This team has a lot of talent. And they are talented enough to win games with Jacoby Brissett as their quarterback. Now, 11 games is a lot more than six. But I tell myself this. And I tell the, the, Browns, the Browns this. Your reasonable expectation, if you want to have a shot to sneak into the playoffs, to get into the playoffs when Deshaun Watson comes back in Week 13 against the Houston Texans, you got to find a way to go 6-5 and five in those first 11 games. And that may sound far-fetched to you, but those first four games against the Panthers, the Jets, the Steelers, and the Falcons are very winnable, one. And then you just have to win two of the next 
seven games. And I think the Browns can do that. And you might think it's hard to do that with Jacoby Brissett, who is a career backup quarterback, but the Browns last year in 2021 were 6-5 and five with Baker Mayfield having one working shoulder. So I think Jacoby Brissett should be able to get them to 6-5. and five. If you get to 6-5, and five, you give yourselves a chance in those last five games at the Texans, at the Bengals, versus the Ravens, versus the Saints, at the Commanders, and at the Steelers. So it's actually six games. Those last six games, you give yourselves a chance to go 4-2 and two in those last six games and try to either win the division or get into the playoffs at 10-7. and seven. The Browns should try do everything they can to go 6-5 and five in those first 11 games. Do I think Deshaun Watson playing this season is a good thing for the Browns? Yes. Absolutely I do. He's the franchise quarterback that the Browns have been waiting for since Bernie Kosar. This guy will be the best quarterback the Browns have had since Bernie Kosar. He will be one of the most talented quarterbacks in Cleveland Browns history when he steps on the field. He will be. He is a franchise quarterback. He is the quarterback for the next five to ten years for this Browns team. And he gives you a window to win Super Bowls in. So the people out there writing articles who are saying, oh, the Browns would rather have him been suspended for the full year since his contract would toll. No, they wouldn't. They'd rather have their franchise quarterback on the field playing football, giving themselves at the the, uh, the chance at the end of this season, the season, la- these last six games, to make some noise and get into the playoffs. But that all starts with the first 11 games with Jacoby Brissett. You gotta find a way to get six and five. Give Deshaun Watson a chance to come back and lead this team to the playoffs. Because if they get into the playoffs, they're dangerous, folks. They are dangerous. Now, a lot of speculation. I talked about it last week. I was on the Jimmy G Express last week, but now I'm kind of looking at it. It's 11 games. I think Jacoby Brissett can get you to six and five. And my tune has changed for the Browns. I would still go pick up Jimmy G if you can. Jimmy Garoppolo from the San Francisco 49ers. However, I am not trading assets to San Francisco to go get Jimmy Garoppolo to be my my quarterback for only 11 games. I'm not doing that. The only way, if I'm the Browns, I go make that move for Jimmy Garoppolo is if he is cut by the 49ers, which remains a very, very likely possibility by August 30th, the 49ers cut Jimmy Garoppolo. It remains a very strong possibility. So the Browns, you got to find a way to get to six and five. Then Deshaun comes back and he gives you a chance to make the playoffs and win some important games in December and January. Let's get to some other headlines. Uh, This one kind of relates to the Browns. Relates to their week one opponent, at least. The Carolina Panthers are expected to name Baker Mayfield their quarterback one, their QB one, their starting quarterback for week one against the Browns. So Mayfield wins the quarterback competition between him and Sam Darnold, and Baker will be the week one starting quarterback against his former team week one in Carolina. Now, Baker's looked pretty good in preseason. Um, He's been 
up and down, kind of like a roller coaster, but he's been a lot better than Sam Darnold. And for those of you who thought it was an actual quarterback competition between Baker and Sam Darnold, you don't watch the NFL because Baker is just a very, very, he's a lot better of a quarterback than Sam Darnold is a lot better. He's played a lot better. He's shown flashes of being a good quarterback and Sam Darnold hasn't. So the Panthers have their guy and it is Baker Mayfield. And before we go to break, I wanted to touch on another NFC South story. And this one deals with Tom Brady. Um, Tom Brady is away from the team um, in training camp. He took some personal time away from the team. And uh, Adam Schefter reported last night that uh, Todd Bowles, the Buccaneers head coach, does not have a definitive timeline of when Tom Brady would return to camp. And some NFL people on both Reddit and Twitter are theorizing that the reason Tom Brady is away from training camp is not because of personal reasons. It's not because he's hurt. It's not because he's going to retire or the uh, reckless speculation that's been going on. They believe that it's because Tom Brady is on the Masked Singer television show that airs on Fox. And this theory is foolproof. Let me break it down for you. So the Masked Singer, it is a competition uh, singing show that airs on Fox, which they have celebrities dress up in these elaborate costumes, basically mascot costumes, and they they um and the judges have to try and guess who it is, and then there's obviously a winner. Basically, it's like American Idol, but when you get voted out, you reveal your identity. So it, it it's the masked singer, and uh, their theme song is like, "Who is that?" You know, it's like, "Oh, who?" And uh, a lot of the fans of the show like to guess who who the singers are. Anyway. That's, I gave you way too much information, but the whole theory of this show, the whole premise of the show is to get people to watch it. Obviously it's one of Fox's most successful competition reality shows, that type of show, but the contestants, um, their identities have to remain a secret throughout the entire show. So Tom Brady couldn't just say, Hey, I'm going on the mass singer without ruining his big reveal. So that could explain why the reports of Tom Brady taking a leave of absence, were so vague, and the only reports were that it was to deal with personal things. I'm sure Brady and any other possible contestants would have to be required to sign an NDA to be on this show, and it would also explain uh, why the, the reports that the absence was known about and improved in advance by the team would also make sense. So the leave of absence could have been a condition to him coming back. Uh, for from retirement um, this is clearly speculation but here's some interesting factoids about why I think Tom Brady could actually be on the mass singer that's why he's away from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now interesting fact number one in May of 2022 Tom Brady signed a 10-year 375 million dollar deal with Fox Sports to be their main NFL analyst once he retires what channel does the mass singer air on Boom, Fox, Fox Sports. Is there a little similarity there? Tom Brady will be employed by the network in the future. The channel Brady will be calling NFL games on once he retires is the same channel Mass Singer airs on. Is it a coincidence or is it more than a coincidence? Number two, if there wasn't enough, a little Google search can let you know that Joe Buck, who was the NFL main color uh who's the NFL main broadcaster for Fox Sports in uh, prior to 
moving to ESPN this past season, aired on The Masked Singer during season seven of the show. So the precedent is there. Number two is the timeline. So um, lo and behold, um, mass Singer filming dates are available to anyone online because they look for people to sit in the audience. So the filming session is, was supposed to occur. One of the filming sessions for the mass Singer was supposed to occur on August 20th. That is the exact same date as the Bucks Titans preseason game. What a coincidence. Which, uh, that is the game, obviously, that they said Tom Brady would definitely be out through. Could it be that he's just filming The Masked Singer? The next thing almost blew the rails off this theory, but uh, upon further research, it was revealed that it did not blow anything off this theory at all. So the dates in which The Masked Singer filmed were um here's where the date here were the dates july 24th through july 29th august 2nd through august 9th and august 12th through 20th well darn the bucks started training camp on july 27th and brady was in attendance until august 10th so it doesn't seem like that he was filming for the mass singer so our theory is debunked except it is not um Last season and season seven for The Masked Singer, there are 15 contestants on the show, but the, uh, there were three separate filming dates. So five appeared in the first three episodes, a different five appeared in the next three episodes, and the final five appeared on the next three episodes. So the, And then the winner from each group moved on to a final round slash episode. So it could be very likely that July 24th and July 29th and August 2nd through August 9th filming dates consisted of the first 10 contestants and that the August 12th through 20th filming session consisted of the final five, which Tom Brady could be a part of. Uh, from the initial report, Brady mispracticed on Thursday, August 11th, will be out until at least Saturday, August 20th, which is the Bucks titans preseason game. The August 12th through 20th filming dates just so happened to fit perfectly into his leave of absence. It's just a crazy co coincidence, though, right? He's totally not on The Masked Singer. One last comment that further fits into this theory uh, the report that Todd Bowles has no definite date for Brady's return other than that it would be after the Titans game holds true in this theory. If Brady advanced out of this group of five onto the finale episode, there's no way to know up front if he would make it or not, leaving the indefinite return date. Um, I think Brady's leave of absence is to film for the Masked Singer to fulfill an obligation he signed up for during his brief retirement when he signed on to be Fox Sports' main NFL analyst for the next 10 years after his retirement. So if you watch The Masked Singer on Fox this fall and Tom Brady is one of the contestants, just remember you heard it on Jack of All Trades first. We're going to take a, take a quick break. When we come back, Cleveland Guardians, AL Central race, MLB headlines, NBA storylines, and much, much more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Ed Anchor. Welcome back to Season 4, Episode 16 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. And let's get things started with one of the most exciting division races in baseball. And that's right here in the American League Central where your first place, Cleveland Guardians, hold sole possession of first place in the American League Central. They have a one-game lead over the Minnesota Twins, a two-and-a-half-game lead over the Chicago White Sox. 
As they sit at 63 and 55 right now, they're 7 and 3 in their last 10 games, and Minnesota and the Chicago White Sox are right on their heels. But it looks like that lead would be even smaller. It looks like they would be the other night in the eighth inning against the Tigers. It looks like the Guardians would be tied with Minnesota and only one and a half games ahead of Chicago heading into this big weekend series with the White Sox because the Guardians just got stifled by the Detroit Tigers for eight innings the other night. And it was a couple of frustrating days for the Guardians. So last weekend, the Guardians took two out of three against a very good Toronto Blue Jays team. They win the first leg of a doubleheader on Monday against the Tigers, lose the second leg. And then on Tuesday night, they lose a close game 4-3 to three on some very, very bad umpiring. And Austin Hedges had some comments after the game about the umpiring. Basically said, look, when you're, when you're on a team like this Guardians team that's trying to win a division, that's trying to make the playoffs, that's trying to do something special, for the umpires to put the, take the game out of your hands and put it in their hands, it's frustrating. And there are some bad calls that uh, left – left in the Guardian uh in the in the Tigers favor the other night. There were some bad calls on Tuesday night. There's one where they rule Austin Hedges was blocking the plate after they threw Javier Baez out. It gave the Tigers their first run of the game. And then immediately the next batter hit a two run home run. So all of a sudden it went from the inning being over at 0-0 to it being three to nothing and the Guardians of course lost by one run. So it was an unfortunate game for the umpires. It was an fortunate game for the Guardians. And it looked like that frustration would carry into another just loss where they couldn't get it done. But then something crazy happened. And that's something crazy is baseball. Because um, the Guardians, they, like I said, I've been saying this all year. They continue to find new ways to win. This is a young team. They're learning how to win, and they keep finding new ways to win. And Wednesday was a perfect example of that. So they, in the eighth inning, the Guardians are down 4-2. to two. There's two outs. I was at this game covering this game as a media member, and the feeling in the press box was, man, it, it just doesn't look like this Guardians team has enough in the tank to come back tonight. It's just how it felt. It was just a vibe in the press box all game long. They they had some chances. They loaded the bases early in the game. They just it just didn't look like it was going to come into fruition. Um, Andrew Chafin strikes out the first two batters in the bottom of the eighth, and then he strikes out Luke Maley. But it was a wild pitch, and it went all the way to the backstop. It was a drop third strike. Luke Maley safe at first. Then Miles Straw gets a base hit, so they have first and second with two outs. And Stephen Kwan is up. And you're thinking, okay, maybe the Guardians can get one back here. Kwan hits this bloop double down the right field line. Not hit hard at all. It bounces into the seats as a ground rule double. So Will Benson, who pinch hit for Luke Maley, scores. It's 4-3. to three. Guardians have second and third with two outs. Then Ahmed Rosario beats a ball into the ground. And he beats it out for an infield RBI single. We're tied at four. Then Jose Ramirez steps up to the plate with two guys on, two guys out. Two guys on, two guys out, 2-0 count, 4-4, and he hits a ball that should have been caught by the left fielder. Here's how it sounded. Up to the shallow left. Out goes Castro. In comes Padua. It drops. 
The go-ahead run scores. Here comes Rosario. He'll score two. So that's how it sounded, courtesy of Matt Underwood at uh, Bally Sports Ohio. And it was just an unbelievable play. Um, the crowd went crazy, and there was only 14,000 in the crowd. <clears throat> the crowd went crazy, and just... I feel like everybody in the press box kind of had the same silent reaction. We were all thinking, man, it is just unreal how this team continues to never quit. They're never out of it, and they keep fighting and scratching and clawing till the very end. So Jose gets the bloop single, uh, bloop double that should have been caught by Akil Badu. It was not hit hard at all. And the Guardians take a 6-4 lead on three straight hits that were not hit very hard at all three of that three uh hits that frankly should have been outs then oscar gonzalez steps up he hits an rbi double off the wall owen miller hits an rbi single and all of a sudden the guardians score six runs in the bottom of the eighth inning after striking out three times and take a 8-4 lead into the ninth inning they're the first team in the alive ball era to strike out three times to start an inning and score six runs. It was an insane momentum shift in this game. Uh, the Tigers had a 90% probability to win the game until it all came crashing down in the eighth inning. And that is really a microcosm of this Guardian season. Just when you think they're out, they pull you back in. And this Guardians team continues to find ways to win, and it's really, really exciting. They're getting some contribution from some young guys. Their pitching staff has been very, very good over the, la over the last three weeks, and it's really elevated them on this run that's put them in sole possession first place. And it's going to be ex an exciting August, rest of August and September, and hopefully October for the Cleveland Guardians. But they got a big series this weekend against the Chicago White Sox, who I mentioned the Guardians only hold a two-and-a-half game lead over the White Sox for first place in the American League Central. So the probable pitching matchups tonight, it's going to be Lance Lynn versus Tristan McKenzie. Tomorrow it's going to be Johnny Cueto versus Shane Bieber. And Saturday, uh, excuse me, Sunday it's going to be Dylan Cease versus Aaron Savalli. So it's a big series for the Guardians to, if they can win this series, go up four and a half games in the White Sox. If the White Sox can win this series, they'll gain a couple of games, maybe only be a half game back of the Guardians. And if they win this series, they'll be a half game up on the Guardians uh, if they sweep the series. So it's a big series for both these teams, for the Guardians to continue to get some separations, direct separation with the White Sox and hopefully with the Twins as well. And for the White Sox, it's a chance for them to cut into that Guardians division lead. So coming into this series, the White Sox just completed a 5-2 and two homestand despite getting blown out in their last game by the Astros, 21-5. Um, Lynn, Lynn, uh, Lance Lynn is pitching tonight is 0-1 against the Guardians this year. Cueto has a no decision, and Dylan Cease is 2-1 with a 2-1-2 ERA against the Guardians this year. The Guardians have won 9 of their last 12 games. Um, they sit in Sole possession in first place in the AL Central. Bieber is 2-1 against the White Sox this year. McKenzie has made two no-decision starts against Chicago, allowing two runs in 10 innings. And Savali made one start but left only after one inning with a sore right wrist. So 
It's a big series. It is a very, very big series for both these teams. Um, I think the Guardians need to capitalize when they have two of their best pitchers on the mound, Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie. I think tonight it is important with Tristan McKenzie on the mound to set the tone in this series. If you can win game one, I love the Guardians' chances to win this series against the White Sox. I think some key guys in this series for the Guardians, Stephen Kwan is going to be a key guy. He leads the league in hits and batting average since the All-Star break. He is going to be big for the Guardians. I think obviously it goes without saying. If Jose Ramirez can have a big series in terms of producing with guys on base, the Guardians will have a great chance to win. And my X factor for this series for the Guardians is Nolan Jones. Um, he's a rookie, obviously, but there the White Sox are pitching three right-handers this weekend. Look for Jones to get some playing time and an opportunity to make some plays, and I think we'll come up with at least one big hit this weekend and maybe even put the Guardians ahead in a game or something like that. With that being said, looking at this weekend and looking at their schedules remaining for the remainder of the season, which out of the three teams, the Guardians, the Twins, and the White Sox, do I think has the best chance to win the American League Central? Well, let's take a look at the Guardians' remaining schedule this season. They play the White Sox for three this weekend in Cleveland. Then they have a pretty tough road trip. They have two games in San Diego Tuesday and Wednesday. Then they go at, at Seattle for four games next weekend. Then they come home, wrap up the month of August with the Orioles in a three-game series. Then they have the Mariners at home, the Royals on the road, the Twins at home. The Twins on the road, excuse me. The Angels at home. The Twins for a five-game series at home in the middle of September. Then they go at Chicago for three, at Texas for three, versus Tampa for three, and they end the season with a six-game series against the Royals. So that's what the Guardians' upcoming schedule looks like. The White Sox' upcoming schedule, they play the Guardians for three this weekend. Then they have a makeup game on a Monday off day against the Royals in Kansas City. Then they go to Baltimore for three, Arizona at home for three, at Chicago, excuse me, at Kansas City for three. Then they play the Twins at home for, uh, the Twins at home for three. Then they go to Seattle for three, Oakland for four, the Rockies for two at home, at Ch uh, Detroit for three versus the Guardians for three. Uh, versus Detroit again for three, at Minnesota for three, at San Diego for three, and then they play versus the White Sox, or versus the Twins. Why do I keep saying versus the White Sox? Versus the Twins to wrap up the, the season. The Twins have a hard upcoming schedule. They play the Rangers this weekend, but then some of the teams they play um, going forward are the Astros, who are a playoff team, the Giants, the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Yankees, the Guardians, that's their next four series or five series after this Rangers series. They have the Astros, the Giants, the Red Sox, the, the White Sox, the Yankees, and the Guardians. That's a tough stretch of baseball. So looking at schedule alone, I give the Guardians a slight edge. And one big reason why is because um, the last week of the season, the Guardians have six games against the Royals, who are 30 games under five hundred, and the Twins and White Sox play each other for three games. So... That gives the Guardians a great opportunity to go 4-2, and 5-1, 6-0 against a bad team in the Royals and hope that the Twins and White Sox beat each other up and that gives you a, a 
enough to clinch the Central. I also like the Guardians' schedule from a standpoint that they play everybody who's either in front of them or competing with them for a playoff spot. They play Seattle. They play Baltimore. They play Tampa Bay. They play the teams in that wildcard race against them. And they also still have eight games against the Twins with five of them at home. And they still have two series against the White Sox, six games against the White Sox. So if the Guardians can take care of business and win the majority of the games, they will win the AL Central. So I like the Guardians out of these three teams. I think the most likely outcome is that the Guardians win the American League Central. The Guardians have the pitching to do it. They have young playmakers. They have a lot of versatility in their lineup. They do everything well that you need to do to win in baseball. They put the ball in play. This Guardians team has the highest contact rate since the 2017 Astros at 81% contact rate. Contact rate. So in other words, the Guardians have the highest contact rate since a team that literally knew what pitches were coming. Um, they, they play fundamentally sound baseball defensively. They put the ball in play, and good things happen when you put the ball in play. The White Sox are going to be without Tim Anderson for the stretch run, and I think the Twins' schedule is too tough to overcome the Guardians. So I'll say this. My pick right now to win the American League Central is the Cleveland Guardians, and I think the Guardians will have an October to remember. Two other teams fighting for a division title and one of the more entertaining races in baseball are the Mets and the Braves. The Mets still hold a three-and-a-half game lead over the Atlanta Braves in the National League East Division, but things have gotten a lot more interesting over the last week as the Braves took three out of four games against the Mets. Um, they were even able to beat Jacob deGrom last night and get him for three runs, but I'll say it like this. The Mets have stars. They have Francisco Lindor. They have Pete Alonso. They have a good lineup. They have a great closer in Edwin Diaz, and they have Two otherworldly starters at the front of the rotation in Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom. That's what I like about the Mets. What I like about the Braves, their lineup might be the best in baseball, top to bottom. They have an MVP candidate in Austin Riley. They have some great, great young players like Ronald Acuna, like Ozzy Albies, like um, the guy they just extended. I think his name is Harris. Michael Harris, I think his name is. And they got some good pitching in Max Fried and stuff like that. But when I look at who has the edge, I think the team with Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer has the edge in this race. I think the Mets have a slight edge over the Braves right now for the NL East division title. The Braves are still going to get into the playoffs, so it's not as high stakes as I think the AL Central title race is. But with that being said, the Braves are dangerous if they get in, dude. They have that playoff experience. They won the World Series last year. And I don't know. I think I could, I could see both of these teams being World Series contenders. But simply because they have Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer as their top two starters, I like the I like the, the Mets over the Braves to win the NL East. And the other big storyline from baseball that we haven't talked about on this podcast yet involves one of the game's brightest stars, and that is San Francisco, uh, San Francisco, San Diego Padres shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr., who's been suspended for 80 games after testing positive for Clostabol, a performance-enhancing substance in violation of Major League Baseball's joint drug, pr drug prevention and treatment, treatment program. 
Tatis' suspension is effective immediately, meaning the all-star shortstop cannot play in the majors this year. In a statement, Tatis said he is not appealing the ban as it was his mistake that led to the positive test. He said, um, it turns out that I inadvertently took a medication to treat ringworm that contained clostabol. Clostabol? I don't know how to say the, the drug. Uh, Tatis then went on to say, I should have used the resources available to me in order to ensure that no banned substances were in what I took. I failed to do so. So Tatis is on the restricted list for the final 48 games of the Padres regular season. And any postseason uh, games the Padres play this season will count towards that 80-game suspension as well. The remainder of the suspension will be served at the beginning of the 2023 season. So Fernando Tatis is suspended for 80 games. And a lot of his teammates, like Mike Clevenger, like Manny Machado, came out and expressed um, disappointment in Fernando Tatis. Uh, Mike Clevenger came out and said it's the second time Tatis has done something like this. The first being when he uh, got hurt last year, and it was the injury he was actually rehabbing for when he took the steroids was when he got into a motorcycle accident, two motorcycle accidents, and broke his hand. Um, but come on, Tatis. You got popped for steroids. It's one thing to get popped for steroids. It's another thing to lie about it. Ringworm? Really? You're going to blame your positive drug test, your positive PED test on ringworm. To make things better, Fernando Tatis Sr., Fernando Tatis' dad, came out and said it was the, 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 uh, the steroid was found in a fungus used to treat um, in a cream used to treat a fungus that, were, that was a result of a bad haircut Fernando Tatis got. What? The excuses are weak from the Tatis family, in my opinion. That's just two unreal excuses from Fernando Tatis Jr. himself and from his father. But it's one thing to get busted for steroids. It's another thing to lie about it. Take the accountability he didn't take the accountability, and it's just a bad look for him, and it's just a very bad look for Major League Baseball. And a bad look for the Padres, who gave him a 13-year, $340 million contract extension, and now he gets suspended for PEDs. Just a bad look all around. And it makes the Padres, who just traded away a lot of prospects for Juan Soto, it makes that deal look a little worse now, in my opinion. <clears throat> all right, let's wrap up today's episode with some NBA Talks. Um, the first NBA news we've got to get to is LeBron James and, um, you know, some Cleveland fans, including myself, wanted LeBron to come home and he is sadly not coming home. Um, but let's just take a moment to think about what could have been LeBron 3.0 in Cleveland. He could have been with this young roster. could have been competing for titles for years to come. Try to win one last one in Cleveland, but instead LeBron will most likely finish his career in La La Land with the Lakers. He's making a lot of money. I can't fault the guy. But wow, what a story it would have been if LeBron came back for a third run with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. And you're lying to yourself if you didn't want LeBron back. Because everybody should have wanted LeBron back. But what a story it would have been if he was coming home. So let's just, um, you know, reminisce on what it could have been here. This is a video from 2014. 
uh, LeBron James, I'm coming home. Uh, these videos were amazing in 2014. They're still amazing now. So here you go. to the question everybody wants to know. LeBron, what's your decision? I'm back where I belong. Yeah, I never felt so yeah. strong. Hey. I'm back, I'm feeling like there's nothing that I can't try. And if you with me, put yeah. your hands high. Put your hands high. You haven't lost a life before. Hey. This one is for you, me. Put your hands high. The dreams are filled. You're rocking with the best. You. I'll be on the phone. I hear the tears of a clown. That song always reminds me of uh, where I was that day when LeBron announced he was coming back to Cleveland. And he said he's coming back to win a championship for the city of Cleveland. And he did just that. So you could be mad at LeBron for not coming back to Cleveland for his third time. But he doesn't owe the Cavs anything. He doesn't owe Cleveland anything. He won us a title. He, um, the fans still love him here. I'm still a big LeBron James fan. And good for him for making money in Los Angeles. Now, from a purely basketball standpoint, would he be better served in Cleveland or Los Angeles as of this very moment? The answer is Cleveland. The Cavs have a lot more talent and a better roster and are in a better situation than the Lakers. But LeBron James agrees to a two-year, $97.1 million contract extension that includes a player option for the 2024-2025 season with the Los Angeles Lakers. It makes James the highest-earning player in NBA history with $532 million in career-guaranteed money. The four-time NBA champion MVP an 18-time All-Star eliminates concern that he can enter free agency next summer. Despite approaching 38 years old, he's still one of the best players in the NBA. So congrats to the kid from Akron on getting some money and becoming the highest-paid player in NBA history. 40, $45 million to play basketball is kind of crazy to think about. But sadly, he's not coming home. Sadly, he's not coming home. But hey, you know. The Cavs are coming, man. They are coming. And I really like what, what Darius Garland had to say about, you know, I think someone a had asked Darius Garland a couple weeks ago um, or a couple months ago about the possibility of LeBron joining the Cavs. And Darius Garland said, hey, man, we have a lot of respect for, for LeBron James. He's one of the greatest plays players ever. He, he's LeBron James. Of course we have a lot of respect for him, but we got a lot of great players here and we're excited to build something without LeBron in Cleveland. And I like that Darius Garland, who the Cavs just signed to a max extension, who's the leader of the Cavs team. Um, I like that he is kind of taking that step and being like, it's time for the Cavs to build their own legacy without LeBron. And I really like that attitude from Darius Garland. But hey, we will always have 2016. I gave everything that I had. I put my heart, my blood, my sweat, my tears to this game. And Cleveland, this is for you. 
Cleveland, this is for you. And that's probably what the NBA had to say the other day when they released the Cavs schedule. <laughs> All right, so that's a great segue. Uh, here's the, the, the We'll go through the Cavs schedule a little bit first, give you some highlights and stuff like that, some big games and stuff of that nature. Then we'll highlight some of the big games on the NBA regular season schedule this season. So the other day, the Cavs, uh, they're a rising contender in the East, um, and they, are op- they will open their season with two road games and are due for nine national TV appearances this season. So they start their season October 19th at the Toronto Raptors, followed by a trip to Chicago. And the home opener will be, the home opener will be October 23rd against the Washington Wizards. And the Cavs have nine national TV games this year after having zero last year. So the NBA is giving them a little respect at least. Uh, the Cavs will have two games on TNT, December 6th versus the Los Angeles Lakers when LeBron makes his annual annual return to Cleveland, uh, February 2nd versus the Memphis Grizzlies, Darius Garland, John Morant, great point guard battle there, um, three games on ESPN, February 10th at New Orleans, two up-and-coming teams that were playoff contenders last season, March 1st at Boston, and March 15th versus Philadelphia, just Great Eastern Conference matchups there. And four games on NBA TV, November 7th at the Clippers, December 26th versus Brooklyn, March 10th at Miami, and March 21st at Brooklyn. Some highlights for the Cavs' schedule. Um, Like I said, LeBron coming back is always one of the biggest games for the Cavs. This year it's December 6th. The Cavs have a six-game homestand uh during the Christmas and New Year's holiday. So that's a good thing to see. A uh, good time for some fans to get out there to some games. Um, I'm going to try and cl- click. Yeah, here's the full schedule. So I'm just reading the highlights that I wrote down. But here's the full schedule. They end the season. April uh, 9th uh, against Charlotte. Could be a playoff ramica- ramifications game there. Um, their longest road trip of the year is going to be in the, well, they have two very long road trips. The first is in November, starting November 4th. They play at Detroit, at the Lakers, at the Clippers, at, uh, Sacramento and at Golden State Warriors. So they play Detroit and then they play all the California teams. And they also have a five game road trip to start January against Denver, Phoenix, Utah, Portland, and Minnesota. And their biggest homestand of the year is that six game homestand. Um, December 16th through December 26th. So it's good to see the Cavs getting some national TV games, getting to be in that national spotlight. I fully expect the Cavs to be in the playoffs this year. And so it's exciting to look at the schedule for a potential playoff run for the Cavs. And this could be a year in which all three Cleveland teams make the playoffs. I'll say that right now. Um, And some of the big NBA games, October 18th, opening night. It's going to be a doubleheader. The Philadelphia 76ers will visit the Celtics. And then the defending NBA champion will receive their championship rings. The Golden State Warriors will host the Lakers. Um, and then the Christmas Day games are the other big games that everybody cares about. Um, five games will be played on Christmas Day. The 75th edition of the NBA on Christmas Day will tip off on ESPN as the Knicks host the 76ers. Then we got the Lakers visiting uh, LeBron, the Lakers visiting Luka, Don- Luka Doncic and the Mavericks. The Celtics hosting Giannis and the Bucks in a 2022 playoff rematch. The Grizzlies making their Christmas Day debut when they visit the Warriors in the playoff rematch. 
and the Nuggets meeting the Suns in Denver to close out Christmas Day. A, a new thing uh, the NBA is trying this week is Rivals Week. Uh, that's another thing that was a quirk on this schedule. Classic and budding rivalries between teams and players will take center stage for NBA Rivals Week during the week of January 23rd. Some of the matchups will include uh, a triple header on ABC on January 28th, concluding with the Lakers vis- visiting the Celtics as that classic rivalry. The two teams with the most titles um, and have met the most times in the NBA Finals will renew their rivalry in Boston on January 28th. Earlier in the day, Nikola Jokic will lead the Nuggets against back-to-back MVP runner-up uh, Joel Embiid. So it's the MVP versus the MVP runner-up in a player rivalry there. And that will be an intra-city matchup between the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets uh, to end that triple header on ABC. So there are some rivalry weeks, another uh, a cool little quirk of the schedule. And... Um, of course, there is the global games. The NBA is going global this year. The The return of the NBA global games, will two regular season games will be outside the U.S. and Canada. Uh, the NBA Mexico City 2022 game will have, see the Heat face the Spurs on Saturday, December 17th in Mexico City. And the Bulls will play the Pistons on Thursday, January 19th in Paris. So that's very cool. Uh, the finals rematch from last year, the Warriors and the Celtics. Uh, December 10th in San Francisco on ABC. ABC, uh, NBA Saturday primetime on ABC will be the premiere of that. And then uh, the two defending conference champions will take place. The second um, matchup finals rematch will be Thursday, January 19th. So a lot of marquee game on both the Cavs and the NBA schedule. And NBA season is just a little over two months away. The NFL is two, three weeks away. College football one week away. And the MLB pennant race is happening right now and that is going to do it for this week's episode thank you so much for tuning in be sure to follow the podcast on instagram at jote sports pod that's at j-o-t sports pod you can give me a follow on twitter at jack bernie tv or at the real j burns with a z um and that does it for this week's episode we will be back next week with another award-winning episode an nfl preview and a college football preview possibly in the works so stay tuned for that Until then, I've been Jack Bernie. Hope you guys have a great week, and I will see you next time.